The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'm hoping to be making our way in time to the Gospel of John and to go through the Gospel of John. And in an introductory way of making our way to the Gospel of John, I want to be looking at a topical study of the first epistle of John. And one of the reasons for that is because it has very similar themes that the Gospel has. And anytime that you are considering the context of Scripture, there's quite a few aspects of context and the verses around it, before it, and after it, uh, the historical context, but also it's, it's a very good idea to have somewhat of a biographical sketch of the author as well. And one of the best ways that we can get a, a picture into the author of the Gospel of John is to look at the epistle of uh, 1 John. So one of the major topics, again, many of the same themes that come out in John's Gospel, focusing on the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, the same themes come out in 1 John. And one of those themes, maybe even the, the most prevalent theme, is life. Life. Jesus is life. God is life. To introduce these thoughts, I want to go to John chapter 20 and in verse 31. And I believe that we could say that this is the theme of the entire Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is written in a much different way than the other three synoptic Gospels that follow Jesus in a chronological narrative way. But it focuses on other miracles that are not recorded in, uh, in other Gospels. It has different messages, different sermons that are preached that are not in, in the other Gospels. And the Holy Spirit inspired this Gospel in this way for a reason, because in the latter half of the first century, you have the heresy of Gnosticism coming into the early church. And what the Apostle John is doing here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is affirming the divinity of Jesus Christ, that he was God manifest in the flesh. And that's why the Gospel of John is written in a different way is because it had a different purpose, to, to defend the divinity of Jesus Christ. So with that being the case, the theme, I believe we could say, of the Gospel of John is John chapter 20 and in verse 31. But these things are written, they're written for this purpose, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He is the Son of God. And that believing, ye might have life through his name. Now, as we study the rest of the Gospel of John, we find out that belief is not the means by which people receive the quickening nature of life in their soul. They're not regenerated. They're not born again by the Gospel. He that believeth hath everlasting life, right? In current possession of everlasting life and will not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life so belief is not the means by which we gain eternal life 
belief is the evidence that we already have eternal life, right? And one of the other very prevalent themes in here is not just eternal life. We've been given eternal life solely by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and by his shed blood and by his finished work. But God was so gracious here in this kingdom to not just give us eternal life that when we die, we're going to be immediately into the presence of God, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, and we immediately go into the presence of God. But God was so gracious here in this kingdom that now we can experience that life and the abundant life right here and right now. And what's amazing about this, and I believe the Apostle John really emphasizes this, is that I walked around with the person of Jesus Christ who was the life. Like I touched him. I felt him. I fellowshiped with him. I, 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 I had communion with him at the Last Supper. He bowed down and washed my feet. I heard him preach the gospel. I heard him preach the Sermon on the Mount. I heard him, uh, I saw him turn those little loaves and fishes and fit five. I saw all of that with my own two eyes. But you can have the same fellowship with Jesus Christ in the kingdom right here and right now. Amen. You understand that? Yes, he's sitting on the right hand of God. And he went back up to heaven, and, he, and now the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he, he comes and ministers to us primarily through the Holy Spirit, not in person in the way that they had at that time. But we know that the, Jesus Christ is perfectly one with the Holy Spirit, right? So what is the first uh, entrance way, I guess you could say? What's the, what's the first requirement? What's the first prerequisite to really laying hold onto this abundant life? What, what is necessary? to feel that manifest presence and fellowship of Jesus. Well, it's believing and confessing Jesus, right? That's the first step of that. That's the, that's the entrance way into baptism and, and the entrance way into the, into the manifest church kingdom that he's given for us. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life through his name. To lay hold on that abundant life. Now let's back up to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and look at some of the verses that present this common theme of life in the Gospel of John, and then we'll make our way to 1 John. So here in John chapter 1, it begins much the same way that the entire Bible begins, speaking of creation, right? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the Gospel of John begins much the same way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And this Word is Jesus Christ. It's not a separate entity. It is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. He's God manifest in the flesh. All things were made by Him. And without him was not anything made that was made in him. In Jesus Christ was life, and the life was the light of men. Every bit of life in this world comes from the source of Jesus Christ. Amen. Whether it's natural life, or spiritual life, or the abundant life. Every bit of life here in this world comes from Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, what happened before God imposed his character and nature of life 
onto creation. What was there? Nothing, right? And one of the other topics that we're going to consider uh, very soon that we find in the Gospel of John and in, and in 1 John is light. Same, same deal, right? God imposed his nature. God is light. So what did he do in Genesis at the creation? He imposed his nature upon darkness. Darkness was on the face of the deep, right? So he imposed his nature onto something to create light. Well, there wasn't any life. It was just a bunch of dirt laying around, right? It was just nothing, nothing. But what did he do? He gave life. And in him, still, we live and move and have our being. I mean, isn't God so gracious? It says that he sends rain on the just and the unjust. I mean, even the unregenerate. The unregenerate farmer that's land borders the godly, devout farmer, they both get rain, right? right? It's not like uh, on the... Uh, uh, when God was sending judgment on the nation of Egypt and he poured out all that judgment uh, solely on Egypt, but he didn't do anything to Goshen uh, where God's people were at. Well, that's not how it rains, is it? <laughs> that's not how it rains. It rains on the just and the unjust. And there are many people that hate God here in this world. And, you know, we say, we say that this world is the worst that it'll ever be for us. And it is. It is. This is the worst it will ever be for God's children. Because when we get in heaven, we'll get to see Jesus perfectly face to face and have perfect joy. This is the worst it will ever be, ever be. But God, in his gracious kindness, even to the non-elect, uh, non allows them to have it the best they will ever have it here in this world. Because it, it flips. For them, when they pass away or when Jesus comes back the second time, doesn't it? That, that, uh, that joy and that judgment, it, it flips, you see? But God still gives life, breath, to the unregenerate, non-elect that in their nature hate God. God's still gracious. He still gives them life. And he gives them, to the degree that they can enjoy it, a little bit of enjoyment here in this world because there's not going to be any enjoyment for the non-elect in the next. Right. But God's still gracious to give them life. All natural life comes from God. And all natural life is sustained by God. Right? And God is certainly the source of spiritual life as well. He's the, he's the source of regeneration. The source of the new birth. The quickening. You have the quickened. Who made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and in sin. But Christ is also the source of of our abundant life. He says in John chapter 15, abide in me, abide in the vine. You're not going to experience life. You're not going to experience uh, the abundant life in the manner that God called you to unless you're abiding in the life, right? I mean, if the world is contrary to God and the world is enmity with God and your flesh, your carnal mind is enmity with God, if you're abiding in the world, do you anticipate having fellowship with the life? No. Well, no, no. How are you going to have fellowship with the life? If you're abiding in the life, if you're abiding in Christ, who is the life. So Jesus Christ is characterized by life and every single bit of life comes from the source of Jesus Christ. Okay. John chapter 11. 
And we know this beautiful account of his resurrection of Lazarus. And we're just going to jump right in here in the middle of this and get this verse and move on to the next one. John chapter 11 and verse 25, when Martha was questioning, he said, your brother's going to rise again. And she says, yeah, I know he's going to rise again the last day. But he said, no, you don't understand uh, what's standing right in front of you. <laughs> right? Yes, he's going to be re resurrected the last day, but I am the resurrection and the life. That's not some uh, third-party event that's going to happen. No, the only reason why he's coming up at the last day is because of the person that's standing in front of you, Martha. Right? I am the resurrection and the life. Though he believeth in me, yet he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, that's not an invitation for regeneration, is it? No. But you can feel that power of that life in Jesus Christ when we believe and when we confess Him. John chapter 14 and in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the source of all life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. John chapter 17 and verse 2, As thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And that was the work of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross, wasn't it? That's why he came into this world. He came into this world to give eternal life, not to offer it, right? right. To give eternal life. And it's hard for me to read these verses. We're going to focus on verse 3, but it's hard to not uh, read verse 4 in conjunction with verse 2. He came into the world to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, talking about election, predestination, right? And then he says in verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth, and I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Okay, what was the work that it was given to him to do? To give eternal life to as many as was given him. He finished that work. But then we have something in addition to just eternal life. He says, I, I came to give you eternal life. But then in verse 3, this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And notice the slight distinction in those words. Yes, we have eternal life through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, but now we can experience life eternal, right? And how do we experience that? It says in First uh, Timothy chapter 6 that we have the ability to lay hold on eternal life. We have the ability to lay hold on everlasting life, which doesn't, doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? Because God is, is so much higher than us, and his, his ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we can't comprehend eternity. We can't comprehend eternity. We're bound by time. All, all that we know has a beginning point and an ending point, and it doesn't make sense in our nature, <laughs> that uh, those of us that are bound by time, that are finite creatures, can lay hold on something that's eternal. Well, how can we lay hold on something that's eternal? Through the eternal Son of God, right? Yeah. We lay hold on eternal life through Jesus Christ by abiding in Him. And what is the real enjoyment? What, what, is, the, what is the real joy in the abundant life? I mean, I'm thankful that God is is so gracious and loving to his people to providentially bless us with material blessings and, and friendships 
and people that love us and people that we love and gives us a nice home to, to, to sleep in and air conditioners that work, thankfully, right? And nice vehicles to travel in. You know, we don't have to be like the Amish going around on horses and buggies. Uh, we have a nice job that we can provide for our family. And I really enjoy my, my climate-controlled office when I, all of our linemen and the utility department that are out working, doing real man's work, hard work outside. And I, I'm getting a little bit uncomfortable because my, my temp is all the way up to 73 in my office. But, but I, I'm blessed, right? And I know that you, that you know that you are too. And I'm thankful for providential blessings. Praise God for that. But the real abundant life is not God just giving me things that make my life more comfortable. The real abundant life is knowing Jesus. This is life eternal, having fellowship with Christ. This is life eternal, that we may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Knowing Christ is the real abundant life. And Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, these are all the things that I gave up for the kingdom. And in a natural sense, a natural man would look at these things and and say, wow, you really got the short end of the stick, Paul. I'll tell you, you, you died with... Uh... The Apostle Paul did so much for the kingdom, but it, it is kind of sad when you read the last chapter that he wrote in inspired scripture where he said, Demas hath forsaken me. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. At my first answer, no man stood with me. You know, he, he, and, and when you come see me, uh, bring my cloak. I'm an old man, uh, and I know I'm about to die, and I'm cold. Please bring my cloak. Please bring the parchments. All these people have forsaken me, and, and then Demas forsaken me. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil and all these other things. But then he said, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. So at Paul's, at the, at the latter end of his life, not only did he, he, he followed the ministry of Jesus Christ, didn't he? Jesus, Jesus said, uh, foxes have holes and birds of air have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. That, that was pretty much the ministry of the Apostle Paul, wasn't it? He didn't have a deed on any property, I wouldn't assume. Because if he did, he'd probably sell it to help someone that was in need. So he truly followed the pattern of Jesus Christ, and he gave up all these things. He gave up notoriety, and he gave up possessions and finances and power and influence. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all those things but lost for what? You gave all that up and you died for the most part a lonely old man in prison with nothing to your name. How many people in the prosperity gospel of uh, America are going to sign up for that? <laughs> you want to follow Jesus Christ? You, you want to be the greatest apostle in the early New Testament church? This is the end result of that. Yeah, I'll pass. I'll pass. Most people would pass on that. Okay? But I'll tell you what he had. You see this amazing fellowship he had with Jesus Christ earlier in his ministry. Because I don't know anyone that was happier in the knowledge and the fellowship and the communion of Jesus Christ than Paul and Silas were after they had been beaten and they were singing 
praise to God and praying at midnight. I don't know of anyone that was living out the abundant life more joyfully than Paul and Silas in the middle of prison. Why? Oh, because they felt, not, not only did they feel the presence of Jesus, but, but it goes on to say here in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, but there's something else where you can really feel the presence of Jesus and the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, they felt the presence of Jesus there as, I mean, you, you got to be in the spirit to be able to feel that. And I feel like the Apostle Paul, when they were putting those straps on his back, they, he was probably thinking, man, this hurts. Oh, but think about the Son of God that was, that was bearing uh, his, uh, on his back stripes for me. And I have a, this blessed opportunity for righteousness sake. To, to fellowship in Christ's sufferings. Because the, the greater suffering that you have for Jesus' sake, the more intimate communion that you have with Jesus in that moment. Think about Stephen. That, that amazing experience that he had with Christ where he saw Jesus standing up on the right hand of the Son of God, on the right hand of God. And he wouldn't have that in comfortable environment where everyone likes you. No, he is being stoned to death, but he is experiencing the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. And Paul said, I'm willing to give all that up. Why? For the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I tell you, isn't this a spiritual kingdom that we have? <laughs> Because many people would say, I'm willing to give all that up, right? You have to understand the spiritual kingdom when he, when he says, you give up houses and lands and fathers and, and brothers and all these relationships, and you're going to get a hundredfold more. Well, that, that sounds great. Everyone likes a 100% return on your investment, right? Let me give you $100, and you're going to give me a hundred times more. Than, that sounds fantastic. Hold on a minute. This is not a natural kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom. But don't you know that Stephen and Paul and Silas were experiencing those 100-fold abundant life kingdom blessings and particularly in the midst of severe suffering. Because they had fellowship with Christ in the midst of of that suffering. But Paul said, I'm willing to give all that up. Not so I can give up one thing to get another material possession. I'm willing to give that up just for the knowledge and the communion and fellowship of a carpenter from Nazareth. I'll tell you, isn't the gospel foolishness to those in the world? (laughs) That doesn't make a lick of sense. To anyone, unless you have the Holy Spirit of God, particularly Jesus Christ residing inside of you. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense that you would give all that up to die alone with nothing to your name in prison for the knowledge of a carpenter from Nazareth. But I want to tell you, that is the real abundant life. Amen. Is abiding in Jesus and fellowship with Jesus. Y'all know the verse in John chapter 10 about the abundant life, but we need to read it. John chapter 10, speaking of the good shepherd, here in this chapter, 
Verse 10, the thief cometh not, speaking of Satan, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. And I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So you can lay hold on eternal life. I'm thankful that God saw fit to give us an earnest of our inheritance. Amen. Right? Aren't you glad for that? Because if He didn't, you should, be so, you should be so thankful. You need to meditate on this sometime. You need to be so thankful that God has given us the knowledge that we have in the gospel and the knowledge that we have in the kingdom. Just think about how many people born-again children of God that didn't have knowledge that they had. They had, most likely, Satan was blinding their minds, not understand things. And they walked around in despair in their life by no fault of their own, really. Just the nature of the, the circumstances that they were born under. And they did not have the opportunity to lay hold on eternal life in the manner that we do. They, they, they weren't given that opportunity. But we have been given that opportunity. And certainly to whom much is given, much is required, right? Let's go now to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, what was from the beginning? The Word, right? Beginning of the Gospel of John. The word which we have heard. Now what John is saying right here is that there was a period of time, this intimate communion and fellowship that the Apostle John had with Jesus Christ. He was the Apostle whom Jesus, Jesus loved, that he laid his head upon the bosom of Jesus Christ. And what an amazing blessing for them to have such intimate communion and fellowship and love one to another that he could lay his head upon the physical bosom of the Son of God. But he says that through believing on him and through pressing into this kingdom and through laying hold on Jesus and abiding in him, you can spiritually lay your head on the bosom of Jesus Christ in the same way that I did in a natural way. And that is amazing to think about, isn't it? That we can have the same fellowship with Christ that, the, that those 12 apostles did in a natural sense. And he said, I heard, his, uh, I heard his natural voice preach the Sermon on the Mount. I heard his natural voice preach those beautiful discourses in John 14 to 16 that another comforter is going to come. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, right? All those beautiful, I heard him preach, all these beautiful sermons. But you have the ability to hear Jesus' voice in the same way that I heard it in a natural way. You understand that? And we have seen with our eyes. I saw him in my natural eyes. But you have the ability to see him through your spiritual eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. This word is characterized by what? By life, right? For the life was manifested and we have seen it. The life was manifested in who? In the person of Jesus. And we saw it. We saw life. Everywhere that Jesus went, 
his life is summarized in, in one of the scriptures as he just went about doing good. You know, he just couldn't help himself. He was, so, he was so oozing out with life that everywhere he went, he was just healing people left and right. You know, I was thinking the other day, um, I believe it is the account of Jairus where Jairus comes to him, his daughter's dying, and then I believe that's the one where, where he's on the way to, to heal Jairus's uh, daughter when that woman with the issue of blood comes. And, and what's amazing about that is when you, I mean, I've preached a whole message on that. I mean, I've spent 45 minutes preaching on just, that, just those few verses. But if you think about, that's something that the Holy Spirit saw fit to zoom in on for just a brief minute. But do you understand that that's like a 30-second interaction? 30-second. Who touched, who touched the hem of my garment? And he healed her, and then he went right on to heal another person. How many 30-second interactions do you think Jesus had that the Holy Spirit doesn't tell us anything about? Right. You know? That's when, when you start thinking about that, that's why it says at the, at the end of the Gospel of John that if everything that he did just in three and a half years, right. if everything he did in three and a half years was written down, this world couldn't handle it. This world couldn't contain it. Because think about how many people just got healed all the time just from touching Jesus' garment. I mean, everywhere he went, it was just this, this life just going, right? And people touched him and they were healed. Everywhere he went, he injected life into the situation. And he said the life was manifested. And we saw it. I mean, we saw that physical healing, didn't we? We saw it. But you understand, he provides spiritual healing to us right here today too, right? Through the gospel. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and which was manifested unto us. So, so life was manifested to us, but he's saying that this life is manifested to you in the same way. We, we don't have a diminished kingdom. Do you understand that? We do not have a diminished kingdom and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's so vitally important. That's one of the four core components of the early church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. It's not just about, hey, we need to get together. Hey, let's check a box of, you know, every so often the church needs to get together. Oh, we haven't had to get together. Let's get one to go in uh, because we haven't had one in the last three months. Fellowship is about us fellowshipping with that other believer so that ultimately we can have fellowship with them but that through our fellowship with them we have greater fellowship with Jesus Christ right. now that doesn't mean that I use people as a as a end to a means right but if we understand what fellowship is if we understand what fellowship with other believers is that that is my fellowship with Jesus then why would you ever forsake the assembling of yourselves together? Right? Amen. Why would you ever forsake public worship? And not just public worship, not just doing your duty to show up every Lord's Day, but why would you forsake any opportunity to fellowship with another kindred in Christ? Because I love them, but ultimately, I love Christ, and I want to fellowship with Christ by my fellowship with them. Amen. 
That's how fellowship works. That's the dynamic of fellowship. Okay? And then, when you have fellowship with Jesus, and when you have fellowship with your brethren, he says in verse 4, These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. There, there is no happier life than the abundant life and feeling that joy unspeakable and full of glory in our fellowship in the kingdom with Jesus Christ and with like-minded believers right here and right now. It's as good as it gets. Amen. This side of glory, as good as it gets. Continuing on to 1 John chapter 5. Verse 11. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son, right? We have eternal life solely through Jesus. And not only is, our, is He our hope of eternal life, but He is our access point to the abundant life, yeah. right? Verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. Now that's true in a, in a spiritual sense, right? If you're, unless you're regenerated, you don't have life. Unless you have the Son, then you don't have life. But it's also true not just in a, in a elect, non-elect, regenerated, unregenerated state. But if you're not abiding in Jesus Christ, if you're not fellowshipping with the life, then that life is not abiding in you in a manifest way. There are many descriptions of God's, descriptions of God's children. Uh, I think about the, uh, the young widow. So he's, he's commending the church to care for widows indeed. But he says the young widows, they're a little immature. They're going to be foolish and, and they're going to make poor decisions. And they're going to, they're going to live in pleasure and marry. But, but she's, he says there are those young widows. Uh, if they live in pleasure... They are dead while they liveth. You see? There are many examples in Scripture where God's children are not experiencing the abundant life. Why? Why? Because they're not allowing Jesus Christ and the life to abide in Him in them in the manifest powerful way that they ought to. Okay? Verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, uh, we'll, we'll consider a whole message on the new birth, but I feel like we need to go up and back, back up to chapter 5 and in verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Right? So that's where it starts. Christ gives life. Christ gives life, and then you can believe and you can experience light. Light doesn't mean anything to people that are dead, right? We know that. Whosoever believeth that Jesus the Christ is born of God. I'm writing this unto you for a purpose. But notice, these people already believe. Okay? Verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You already have professed belief in Christ. You know, this is not a, an invitation for eternal salvation. You already believe. And that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe. So now you have a may believe, a future belief. He's essentially saying, I'm in, 
writing this to encourage you so you can have assurance and peace of your eternal salvation so you can continue in belief, right? So you can continue in steadfast belief. Some people say in Christianity, well, it is prideful. It's, it's very prideful for us to say that we know we have eternal life. Well, that's the language that's used right here. The Holy Spirit said you can know it. Now, now when, you, when you say that you know it, that doesn't mean that you walk around looking at other people who you don't think are living as godly as you are and, and saying, well, I know that I have eternal life, but you probably don't. The purpose of that is just that internal peace and the answer of a good conscience and assurance that you have. And you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with a child knowing that they're the son of their father. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a child telling people that I know he's my daddy. Yeah. You want to know why there's not anything wrong with that? Because the Holy Spirit tells you that. Yeah. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the, the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, the Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Yeah. You know, there's not anything wrong with you affirming publicly, as long as you do it in humility, and say, praise God for amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, right? But there's nothing wrong with you professing publicly the same thing that the Holy Spirit is testifying in your heart, Amen. right? God intends for his children to have assurance. And boy, it just makes me so upset as a preacher of the gospel to hear people preaching the exact opposite to scare people and to make them thinking they're not children of God. The purpose of the gospel is, to, is so that you will know. I can, I can say definitively that I can just preach the gospel we're, we, call, we, we call upon all men everywhere to repent. And I can, I can have a lot of comfort to know that that's going to mean something to a heart that is pricked by the gospel, pricked by the Spirit. But I, but I can also know that it's foolishness to the unregenerate. And you know what? It doesn't matter to them. I don't have to be concerned about giving assurance to someone who's, an, who's not elect. I don't have to be concerned about that. I just preached the gospel that said, that says, well, let's just back up to the... Previous chapter. We love him because he first loved us. I can preach that to anybody. Yeah. I can preach that to anybody. And it's foolishness to those that, aren't, that are not regenerate. And it is an assurance to God's children. Amen. Okay? But God intends for you to have assurance of eternal life. And boy, it makes me upset when I hear people preaching essentially to take away God's children's assurance. That's right. Because you're taking away their life. You're taking away their abundant life. Now let me combine John chapter 20 and verse 31 with the last phrase here in verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the Son of God. You already believe, and I'm writing unto you so that you will have assurance, so that you will know that you have eternal life. And that by believing, you can have life through his name. Now, you already have life. You're already born again. But you have such a greater knowledge and fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ when you hear it, you believe it, 
confess it, but not just that you get baptized, but that you walk daily in it. When you abide in Jesus Christ, when you abide in the vine. There are so many better men and so many better children of God that did not have any sliver of the understanding that we have here in the New Testament gospel kingdom to have a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now they had a knowledge of Jesus Christ at a minimum in their heart, an Abba Father knowledge, and they knew him because he was in their heart, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But there's a big difference between being in gospel ignorance and not knowing what Christ has done for you and then feeling that peace and the assurance that when I hear a false gospel that says, if you died today, if you had a car wreck leaving today, are you really right with the Lord? Have you really prayed the prayer? And if you don't, you're probably abiding in death and you're probably going to go to hell. I can listen to that. I can listen to that same message. And I can instead reason in my mind that I can know that I have eternal life because of the life of Jesus Christ. But the gospel is so important because there are many children of God that are walking around terrified that if they do have that car wreck, God's going to pull the rug out from under them and they're going to go to hell. The purpose of the gospel is so that you will know that you have eternal life and that you can feel the life, which is Jesus. So you can know Christ because that's life eternal. That's the abundant life is knowing Christ. And that, that is a lifetime aspiration, isn't it? Is always attempting to grow in greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. Even the Apostle Paul knew he'd never meet that bar. I love what he said there a little bit later on in Philippians chapter 3. I count not myself to have attained. <laughs> I'm not there yet. But I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. I'm pressing toward the mark of a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm pressing toward the mark of a greater fellowship with Christ. We lay hold on eternal life by laying hold on Jesus Christ. And I pray God will bless us to do that as we serve Him here in this kingdom. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.